Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Come to the feast. It's interesting the way Isaiah starts off this particular chapter by the word ho, which means to, uh, he uses it to get our attention. He might have said, listen, or some other phrase that would cause us to stop in our tracks and listen to what he has to say and notice to whom he is speaking. Listen Every one of you that is thirsty. Now, if you're not thirsty, there's no point in listening. But I would trust that we're all thirsty tonight for something. And we would hope that that something is the Word of God. We would hope that that something is the the message that the Holy Spirit would have to say to us. In the New Testament, Jesus told a story about a man who prepared a great feast. And he sent his servants out to invite some people to come. And one by one, those who were invited began to offer excuses as to why they could not come to that particular meal. The same type of thing that we all do in offering excuses as to why we're not in church at any given time. There's little point in deliberating that particular issue, but I want you to notice that he gave us three illustrations in that parable of what the people said as their reason for not wanting to eat. Not wanting to come to a meal where there's going to be plenty to drink and plenty to eat. One said he had just bought a piece of ground and he had to go check on it. Another said that he had bought a yoke of oxen and he had to go find out if they were worth anything. He wanted to try them out. Another said, I just got married. I never have figured out why that person thinks that he should not go to church. One of the things that I've noticed about all the weddings that I have performed on Saturday night, that is on Sunday, those people aren't in church. They all made excuses as to why they were not going to come to a banquet that had been prepared for them. For they had something else to do that was more important. They did not thirst. They were not hungry. And I think that I can say with pretty good uh, emphasis that when we do not find a desire to fellowship with God's people in God's house around God's word, it's because we don't feel 
in our heart and soul that there is anything to benefit us going to take place. We do not find that we're thirsty or we don't feel hunger. Why else would we stay away from a banquet that had been prepared? When my mother announced dinner time, I was always ready to eat. And you didn't have to ask me twice. And my wife always comments, even yet today, that when she says dinner's on the table, I'm there before she gets the food on. She figures that I'm going to take a little bit of time and go wash my hands. Well, I'll beat her to the punch. I've already done that so that I'm ready because I'm usually hungry, and you know how that goes. Once in a while, however, when we are upset, when our digestive system is contrary to good reason, we say, I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat. And deprive our body of those elements that the Lord has prepared that our body might, might use. The same thing is true, but I think even more so with our lives as Christian people, or people in general, who seemingly find no substance or feel no need of nourishment from God's Word. It's amazing that three times more people, perhaps four times more people, would say, I don't need anything out of God's Word, as would be evidenced by those who are in church on any given Sunday. This morning was a fine attendance here. I'm sure that we had good attendance all over the land today. And maybe we got enough to last us for another week or two or three out of that one meal. But that has not been my experience with eating physical food. I can gorge myself at one meal and I'm already prepared for the next one. The hunger pangs are set in and I believe that there is within us the desire, if we will recognize it, to come to the table that the Lord has prepared that we might drink and that we might eat. But most people in this world don't see value in this particular meal. In verse 1, he says, Those who are thirsty come to the water and drink. The old saying that you've heard over the years, we don't miss the water till the well runs dry, is a pretty good statement. We don't miss it until the well runs dry. Maybe we feel that the well is not dry, but this is all a metaphor to bring us to an awareness of our spiritual need. The psalmist, back in Psalm 42, verse 1, said these words, As the heart, H-A-R-T, which means deer, as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Now, if we are who we say we are, 
There is something about us that wants more and more and more of what God has to offer. And we never get enough. I watched a deer on one occasion. I've watched many, many hundreds of deer. But one deer particularly I recall that was being chased by dogs. Ran across within a few feet of me, totally ignoring my presence as a possible uh, thing to be afraid of whose tongue was hanging out, who obviously was starved for a drink and for some rest and could not get it because of the pressure of the dogs that were coming upon her. That, according to Psalm 42.1, is the type of expression that ought to be in the life of the Christian who pants whose spiritually speaking tongue hangs out that he might lap up the water from the living well that is God himself. I think it is the wise person who knows that life is more than physical satisfaction and yet count the amount of time in my life or in yours that is spent in satisfying the physical in comparison to that which is spent in satisfying the spiritual and we'll find a great void between the two. Jesus sat upon a well curb in Samaria while his disciples went into the little town of Sychar to, to buy some food to eat and it was in the middle of the day and a woman came out from the city and he asked her for a drink of water. For her purpose in coming was to draw water out of the well. She was amazed that he would ask her, a woman, and he, a, obviously a Jew, and she, a woman, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water. Jesus responded to her, whoever drinks this water, referring to the water out of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever will drink the water that I will give him will never thirst. And the woman said, give me that water. She didn't understand yet what he was saying. If somebody offered us something that would completely and fully satisfy our desires, would we not accept it? I would. I'm sure you would. And yet God comes offering something that will satisfy every longing in our heart and soul and man says, I'm not thirsty. I don't want to drink. strange that we don't understand what is happening in our lives. We're on the search for something that will satisfy. We all are. The thing that I want out of life in this world more than anything else is satisfaction. And I think you do the same. 
satisfaction. It's all tied up in that word. Whether we work or play or whatever we do, it is to bring our lives to a position of being satisfied. And not a one of us have found that satisfaction in anything that this world has to offer. Not a one of us. That's why we have kept on searching. And I trust that every person here would be able to say that I found what I was seeking for in Jesus Christ. Because of that old hymn that says, I am satisfied with Jesus. He has done so much for me. We do not have to look any further for satisfaction in life than to Jesus Christ. Now, the other emphasis that we can see in this verse is that God wants to give us satisfaction. He wants to give us what we want. He wants to meet our needs. That's number one. Secondly, there's not going to be any charge for it. He said, without price and without money. And thirdly, I would like for you to notice that he lists three things that he is offering. Water, wine, and milk. Isn't that a rather strange thing for God to be offering? And I think as we look at those three words, they can be interpreted mean perhaps three things. Water meaning refreshment. There is nothing that satisfies like water when we are absolutely thirsty. Wine represents enjoyment. The good things of life God offers us. Enjoyment in life. If we are not enjoying life, it's because we have not received from God what he offers. And thirdly, milk, which is nourishment. God offers us the spiritual food upon which our lives can, can be nourished. Now look at verse 2. He asks a very important question. He says, why? That's the word wherefore. Why? Do you spend money for that which is not food and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And I'm interpreting there. You'll see the King James says it a little simpler. Why is it that we will spend our lives on things that do not nourish us? And that we will work our fingers to the bone for things that never satisfy. I can remember when I was a teenager and got my first automobile. But I thought when I got that, I had the world by the tail. I was totally satisfied for just a few minutes. And then I discovered that there was something that I wanted to add to that automobile. 
And then it wasn't long until I saw somebody that had a better one than I had, and I thought I need to improve my model. And I tried to talk my dad into a newer one, since he was paying the bill, and I didn't succeed on that score. Because he was wiser than I, and he knew that it made no difference what automobile I had, that it would not satisfy me because there would be something else beyond that that I wanted. Why is it that we work for things that have little meaning once we have achieved them? We eat, we work, we sleep. Some of us are workaholics, and I've been accused of that all my life, that that's all I do is eat, work, and sleep. And when I was in the hospital, a very kind nurse said to me that it's time that I stop and smell the roses, and I have never forgotten that statement that she made to me. I'd heard it many times, but it, it uh, made an impact on me when she said it to me. Because what is there to life if there is not enjoyment in that which we do? We simply work in order that we can eat. We sleep in order that we can have the energy to work. There's probably not much sense in that. We spend our hard-earned money on things that, after achieving them, bring us no satisfaction. That's why so many people, and our teenagers particularly, are turning to drugs and to entertainment and to all kinds of things in order to find something that will satisfy. And still life is empty. He says in the middle of verse 2, hearken, which means listen. Listen diligently unto me. And eat that which is good, and let your soul delight in itself in fatness. Listen diligently unto me. What he's saying is, eat and drink of the source that will satisfy, that will give life meaning, that will fulfill our desires. In verse 3, he says, give me your ear. Incline your ear and come to me and hear and your soul will live. Your soul will live. Anything about the body. Do you know lots of people are in a live body with a dead soul? They're dead already and won't fall over? There's a little cartoon that we have in our office that says that we have noticed that there are lots of employees who have died and have failed to fall over. This will not be allowed. In the kingdom of God, we ought to be alive. And yet, multitudes of people in this world are alive in bodies whose soul is dead. He makes a promise in verse 3. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Did you know that the Old Testament teaches eternal security? Right there it is. I will make an everlasting covenant 
Now it takes two people to make a covenant. Man's going to have to make a decision. He's going to have to decide whether he wants to eat at the table God has prepared and drink out of the water that God has provided. If he doesn't want to do that, God can't make him. There are multitudes of people who are going to hell simply because they have refused to accept what God has offered. A wife of a preacher said to me in a Sunday school class 35 years ago probably that I was teaching. But I don't believe that God is going to send anybody to hell. But I think we better take another look. I agree with that statement. God will do everything he can to keep a person out of hell. But if a person goes to hell, it's his own decision, not God's. God will make a covenant with you. He said it will be everlasting. But you're going to have to listen to God and drink from the water that he has provided and eat at the table that he has set. And those who say, I have no need of spiritual nourishment, I have no need of spiritual drink, are those who have said, I have no need of God. I'm my own man, my own woman, and I'll go my own way. And listen, man's way is broad and leads to eternal damnation. God's way is narrow and requires one to submit himself to God and drink and eat from what God has provided. Down to verse 6. He says, Seek you the Lord while he may be found. That's an interesting statement. While he may be found. There's some urgency here. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And that's talking about something that's pretty urgent. We have no assurance of tomorrow. It's salvation today or it may be no salvation at all. God is calling now. He may not be around to call tomorrow because man has already decided no and and his life has been taken, and he has gone to hell. But listen, Genesis 6.3 says that my spirit will not always strive with man. I believe that he is primarily talking about two things. Number one, the day of tribulation. And we've talked about this over the months. You know that the next thing is going to happen this whole world, as far as God's timetable is concerned, he's going to come back and take his church. And then he's going to enter in a period of seven years of tribulation, of terrible time on the earth, and the Spirit of God is going to be separated from this world. He will not be here. There will be many thousands of people saved during that period of time, but it won't be because the Holy Spirit is there knocking on their heart's door all the time. They're going to have to do it on their own if they're saved. Listen. In this world today, God knocks at the door of everybody's heart and says, I want to save you. 
There's a time coming when God will not knock on the door anymore. But I also think that it is possible for a man or a woman to say no too many times and God will say, all right, if that's what you want, I won't knock anymore. And leave that person without the Holy Spirit pleading with them. And I've had testimonies from people who have reached that point when they've said, I no longer feel God calling. They can still be saved. God's not going to turn anybody away. But he's not making any effort, special effort, on that person's life to save them. And I don't know, and nobody knows when that point might come in anybody's life. Today is the day of salvation. He said to uh, the people and to us, Seek the Lord while he may be found. If a person is in this congregation and is not a Christian, today is the day you ought to find Jesus Christ. And how do you do it? By simply placing yourself willingly in God's hands and saying, Lord, here I am, just as I am. Forgive me my sins and save my soul. Now listen, that's as simple as it can be made that I know of. Ask for forgiveness and ask for salvation and God will forgive and God will save. We are not saved by our efforts. We're saved by what God does. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. A person who is sinful indeed is described here as wicked. A person who is sinful in mind is described here as unrighteous. People say, oh, I'm not so bad. If that guy down there at the Olive Branch Church, quote by name, is going to heaven, I sure am. Oh, I've had that said several times in the last two years. And my response is, well, you're probably right. If that guy goes, you may go too. The question is, is that guy going that you have just mentioned by name? Nobody knows that. Because salvation is not based upon how we compare our lives to Joe Blow. Our salvation is how do we compare to Jesus Christ. There's the real comparison. The scripture says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none righteous. No, not one. Let him return unto the Lord. And here is the thing that Christian people, I was talking about this morning in the message that I think is important. And that is that we as Christian people stray from God and it's time we return to God. That's why I believe that our aisles need to be full of repentant Christian sinners who have strayed from God and will come down to this altar and spend time here in repentance. And when that takes place, whether in front of the church or in private, 
The scripture says here in verse 7 that God will abundantly pardon. God will abundantly pardon. There's a hymn that we sing that come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. For he will surely give you rest. He will save you. He will save you now. I want to ask just two questions. Then we'll so close. Number one, are you saved? If tonight is your last night upon earth, will tomorrow morning find you awake in heaven? If not, you are faced with a dilemma of deciding whether to drink and eat from what God has offered or reject it. The rejection of what God offers means eternal damnation. The acceptance of that offer means eternal life. And then to those of us who are Christian, have we in our hearts and in our minds truly and fully returned to the Lord from where we have been astray from him, wayward? If not, is not tonight the very time that we ought to return? We need churches full of repentant Christians who have returned to the Lord to eat and drink from that which he has provided. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.